Sin acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land, the House of Sin and Studio Stand On, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. This is the OST podcast, original soundtrack on Sin Nation. Catch us live from 7pm every Tuesday on Sin Nation. This is, in fact, OST, original soundtrack here on Sin Nation with Aaron and Paul. Woo! How are you doing, Paul? So happy to have you here um, on this lovely Tuesday because um, we're going to be getting into films that are quite close, near and dear to all of our hearts. Um, these are kind of movies that define a generation, more specifically our generation, uh, where the millennials that uh, buy too many avocados and use our phones too much and can't afford houses, but these are the movies that make it all seem... Okay and all right. Yeah. So ranging from, I guess, now cult. We've got a thing for cult films here on OST, don't we? Ranging from cult to insanely popular. We're going to be looking at six different movies that we loved as teens and somehow, for for some reason, we still love now. There's very many reasons. I think we've (laughs) we've rewatched some of these movies and there's lots of reasons to love them, but there's also some problematic reasons maybe we shouldn't. Perhaps. Um, Although... We have a special guest with us. Ow! We have Hi, India. guys. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no worries. Very different to what I usually do, but I'm so here to talk about music because at the end of the day, that's what I love. What do you usually do at Sin? I usually uh, host The Hoist fortnightly on a Monday. I host Workout Weekly on um, Sin 90.7 on a Sunday night, and I'm the talks manager, so it's just like got my foot in all everything. the pies. Everything, yeah. yeah. Sandwich of Sin. It's the all sandwich this stuff. of Sin. Sin worldwide. Thank you. <laughs> I like it. I so like you, it. You're going to be our expert on the kind of culty teen films we're talking about. Yeah, which is Sing actually it. something I um, did as a major at uni for three years. So I'd like to think I'm putting this into practice. <laughs> this so. is a pattern. This is a pattern. We've just got experts who with <laughs> unseen potential on this show. Well, I'd like to think I've got something to back my expert um, label. So let's see how it goes. <laughs> Give it a crack. What is our first film for today, Paul? Um well, it comes from the king of team-based comedy, I think, uh, the kind of coming-of-age stories. He made 16 Candles. He made The Breakfast Club. Uh, but Ferris Bueller's Day Off still stands as a movie that's relatable uh, even to our generation, I mm. feel. Um, I don't think anyone's kind of um, wagged from school as intensely as Ferris did <laughs> in that movie, but we've all kind of had those days where we wake up and we go, oh. Absolutely. So just a quick rundown for those who have not seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It was released in 1986 and stars Matthew Broderick, Alan Ruck, Mia Sarah, uh, Jeffrey Jones, and Charlie it's Sheen. winning. Yeah. Charlie Sheen is absolutely winning in this movie. He really is. <laughs> anyway. He just, he just makes a tiny cameo, but um, that's when he was first starting off. Mm. Um, and then he did um, Hot Shots, all those parody films, and then he did... Two and a half men, and now he's the man we know him today. It's deeply disturbing, but um, a really nice full circle moment. Charlie Sheen's cameo in this film. So the things that we will be focusing on, in fact, are the musics, the mm. soundtrack of this film that features music from The Smiths, The Beatles, and The Dream Academy. Uh, the plot, you kind of put a little bit of a framework around it earlier there, but Ferris Bueller fakes sick to get a day off school, and it's all about him. Or is it? Um, if you haven't seen Ferris Bueller's, Ferris Bueller's Day's Day Off and you're wondering what we're talking about, there's this kind of theory going around... Oh, going around. Going this around. Film, this you film's been out for 30 years. 
um, that the film's actually more about Cameron Fry, his friend, um, than it is about Ferris. And that's what I, I really like about this movie. Um, John Hughes' films are just kind of like magically uplifting movies, um, especially to see as a teenager. His style of movies are kind of considered its own genre and have inspired some really great movies, especially high school movies like uh, the, Age, the Edge of Seventeen and even Love, Simon, which is mm. a movie I love, one of my favourite movies of this year. Yeah, I think you cried in Love, Simon. I did. I really cried sweet. multiple times. Actually, it was really nice. Um, it's, yeah, it's been argued by fans for quite some time, uh, but wasn't confirmed by John Hughes um, due to his passing in 2009. Um, but it's arguable that the film is actually not about Ferris, but it's about Cameron, which is what I love so much about this movie. Uh, but we will put a content warning out that um, we'll be talking about mental health discussions, especially depression and potentially um, suicide, because... Uh, this film's actually heavier than you think it is, um, even mm. though it's a comedy. So I guess if that's not something you want to stick around for, then turn your radio down or skip ahead if you're listening on podcasts for the next five minutes. Um, if you choose to stick around, we've got uh, options for you. You can give a lifeline a call on 131114 as well if that's something that you would like support with. Um, there's been lots of interpretations from fans that Cameron... Um, was severely depressed um, kind of the day before, the days leading up to Ferris Bueller's day off. Um, I really like this interpretation of the movie, actually, because it gives a very real perspective of mental health in high school. Um, it's just an, an issue when Ferris is being such an asshole throughout the entire film um, and then kind of causes Cameron to have a meltdown, like a, and then he actually becomes catatonic, um, and tries to uh, jump in the pool and die. Um, so it's just very strange when you look at the film from that perspective. But I, I, I really like that that kind of interpretation. But if we get into, I guess, the sound, so if we hone in a little bit more, I think the sound, in a way, maybe taps into that theory, but not necessarily. I don't know, India, do you have any thoughts on that one? I think that, yeah, especially the um, scene where we first are introduced to Cameron and, of course, he's... Doing a version yeah. of his own, you know, another song, but the the tone, the opening tones, without even getting into the crust of the song, just off the bat, he's fully supporting that depressive motive. And, mm. and Ferris is actually one of my favourite films, if not my favourite. So I definitely, each time I watch it, I kind of delve deeper into this. And I think that, yeah, it's just when when Cameron's around, even if it's happy music, he's never there. Mm. Like, yeah facially never there well yeah uh, he's what, quite removed I think what you're talking about is when they're on the phone yeah in ferris's all of his shots there's like tropical music and then when it cuts to cameron yes. on yeah. the phone there's yeah. just dead silence yeah or is it, it is it silent or is there like a no, brooding the, the eerie yeah there's like a and music that's just yeah. it's so smart that, that's, really that's so cool um what was so great about the soundtrack i feel is that john hughes didn't actually want an album to be re- released for it um, because he felt that the music didn't really fit as a cohesive album or like we talked about on the last episode, we talked about how when an album comes together, um, it can really become its own art or its own separate piece of art. But he felt with the soundtrack that it just didn't make sense, like the Beatles and Europop and the Smiths and the Star Wars theme mm. all being on one album didn't really work. And that Star Wars theme is so stupid. I really <laughs> still don't get it. Um, it is it is a real mishmash of sounds, which is so interesting because I think if you compare it to other teen flicks of the time, there is this kind of indi- like the, the the staple bands who are pop 
sensations at the time are kind of like dominating the soundtrack of the film. Whereas this one is, I think it's really different. It's really set apart from the rest of the scenery because yeah. there's just a, yeah, there's Star Wars and then there's the... But it comes out know. of nowhere and then there's no explanation. <laughs> and then um, instead of, you know, playing a more Western um, or like an American band playing over the Ferrari scene, they play a Europop mm. band like Yellow, who's from Sweden. Um, it's just like this weird mishmash. So I kind of understand why John Hughes didn't want it in an album. Sadly, um, after his passing, they did actually compile it into an album. And now we have the Ferris Bueller's OST. Um, but I think with his guidance, maybe that wouldn't have happened. You never know. Going against a dead man's wish. Really, yeah. <laughs> really smart move there. <laughs> there are some very iconic scenes. There's the Ferrari scene, which features Oh Yeah by Yellow, which is now kind of iconic when it comes to showing off like a desired object? Is it desire? I don't know. I kind of get this weird image of like, yeah, your gross uncle and he's just like having a bit of a boog like <laughs> at your 50th and I'm maybe not, he's had one too many. Like that's I'm the kind really of I'm not really sure. That's kind of when people parody Ferris Bueller's Day Off and they parody the car scene. Mm. That's kind of what they're going for. But maybe that's not even what John Hughes was thinking in the first place. I'm mm. not sure. It's interesting. There's also a parade scene where um, Ferris Bueller gets involved with a parade and he... um. Firstly, sings Dunkerschön, which is an old. You popped for that. So I did pop hard. for that one. You love uh, it. They also sung "Twist and Shout" by the Beatles, which is a controversial kind of thing because Paul McCartney actually hates the use of the song in is the film. Is it controversial or is it just Paul McCartney? Paul McCartney's a lovely boy. <laughs> I wouldn't expect Paul McCartney to make fun of anyone. I think when he does, it's granted and it's warranted. Um, he mainly hated it because he hated it because of the use of brass instruments. Which I think, Aaron, you notice, like, it's a bit weird. Like, Twist and Shout was made in the 60s when it's mainly gu- you know, guitar rock I think rock I only song. noticed it because you drew my attention to it. And, I mean, that's okay. watching a movie with Paul. That's, like, if something's happening, you know five minutes before. And he'll be like, hey, pay attention to this obscure fact that I know. Um, <laughs> this is where the tension starts. Are you the type that pulls out all the Easter eggs in Disney films oh, when yeah. you watch them all? Oh, yeah. uh, maybe. Absolutely, he mm. is. Yeah, I haven't read that long form piece, but it's been bookmarked in my phone for about four years. I haven't had the courage to read it. That's fantastic. But no, yeah, it is a bit jarring, I will admit. The, yeah. The, the brass. Well, one of the songs I think is quite jarring is a song I'm going to listen to now, which um, I first heard being a really horrendous early 2000s internet meme, which is Oh Yeah by Yellow. Uh, you're listening to OST, original soundtrack on Sin Nation. Hey, Aaron, does it sound uh, kind of quiet to you here? Now that you mention it, yeah, it's a little bit. That's due to media law and some copyright laws, so we couldn't contain music in our podcasts. If you want to hear some of the tunes that we've been playing on our show, you can head to our Spotify playlists. You can find them on our Facebook page at OST Sin. Cool. You're welcome. Thank you. Adams? Here. Adam Lee? Here. Adamowski, Adamson, here. Adler, here. Anderson, Anderson, here. Bueller, 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 Bueller. Um, he's sick. That, that. <laughs> was, was Oh that? Yeah by Yellow. You are on <laughs> OST Original Soundtrack here with Aaron Paul and India tonight. Um, that was traumatic. 
I'm sorry. That was far too long for my comfort and enjoyment. <laughs> but that's okay. So that was from the Ferris Bueller soundtrack. And to, I guess, jump straight into it, we're going to be looking at another classic teen film, Clueless. Mm, Clueless. Clue- Clueless, as Something to where this conversation the, uh, might go. I only watched this movie quite recently for the first time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For once, it's me that's introduced Paul Woo. to a film. <laughs> How fun is that? So Clueless uh, came out in 1995 and it stars the wonderful Alicia Silverstone, who is also in the Scooby-Doo live action remake. Oh, number two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, Paul Rudd, <laughs> Stacey Dash, Brittany Murphy, bless her soul, Donald Fashion, Wallace and Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn. It features music on the incredible soundtrack by Radiohead, The Muffs, Counting Crows, Beastie Boys, Coolio, Supergrass, oh Salt God. and Pepper and no doubt, it, my God, it's jam-packed. It, it's so good. It's, it's so nineties. It's oh. a real time capsule album. It's like the Ferris Bueller soundtrack. You couldn't call it so fresh, but <laughs> you could definitely call this as so fresh. Yeah, that I like that. Can we make that a thing? Let's tag uh, that. So fresh. Can you um, get in touch with us, please? Thank Amazing. you. We, we have, have get material so for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those who are not familiar with Clueless or your Clueless as to what Clueless is, uh, I'm sorry. Amazing. Um, yeah. Thank you. The plot centers around, it's actually inspired by a Jane Austen novel, Emma, and it follows young Cher navigating high school life. She then falls in love with her ex-stepbrother, important ex-stepbrother, important factor, (laughs) played by Paul Rudd. Um, Can you blame her? No. He's pretty gorgeous. He's very gorgeous in that movie. Um, I guess along with Mean Girls, Clueless is just one of those teen movies I always heard about. But being indoctrinated by gender roles and being a boy growing up, um, I thought was always too girly for me. Um, so I never really got a chance to watch those when I was younger. But truth be told, I love both of these movies and I really love Clueless. Um, I thought it was really great. Um, the film's writer and director, Amy Heckling, actually studied Beverly Hills for the sake of the movie. Uh, and maybe it's just the age of the movie, but her studies actually come across really well. Uh, the dialogue is extremely cringy. And it's so 90s. Um, so most of the lines in script writing came from heckling, actually observing how high school Beverly Hills girls talked. Mm. So apparently they all talked like as if. Can I mention as well, on the DVD of this film, there's a bonus feature where you can get, it's like a video reel of, of vocabulary. So they go through and they have the snippets from each scene and it's like, uh, what's what's an example of a phrase? Duh, I totally stopped. Yeah, like, no, well... I totally paused. I totally paused, but, no, the, like, the words that they use, Barney, Barney's one. Oh. Um, and they have, like, you're such a Barney, and then they freeze, and then they have the definition, and it's in, like, <laughs> gross, fluoro, comic sans, like, it's disgusting. I highly recommend that people go check that out if they can. That's all I had to say about that. Um, our Australian rapper, Iggy Azalea, actually um, parodied <laughs> and paid homage to Clueless in a music video for Did Fancy, she? apparently. Um, Iggy played Cher and Charlie XCX played Ty. Um, there's a part of me that thinks this video um, made more of this generation aware of Clueless and want to have a rewatch. Yeah. Um, but that can't be proven. Um, but the director of Clueless, Amy Heckling, has been quoted in saying, um, it looked like they had more money for the video than I had for the movie, but I was extremely flattered and I thought she was amazing about fancy. It's so, so wholesome. I it mean... very wholesome. Yeah, it's super wholesome. Let's not get into Iggy Azalea. <laughs> I'd rather not. Let's skip over that. I think um, in terms of the soundtrack, like we went through some of the groups that are on 
it and god it's it's like stacked it's absolutely stacked with big mm. name bands from yeah. the 90s which i think is um it lends to its iconic status um however i do kind of uh, the cynic in me kind of looks at that lineup and goes you're trying too hard but I think that's deliberate as well. A lot I of think- it is like inconsequential soundtracks. Um, like mm. the Radiohead song, Fake Plastic Trees, comes up. It's on the radio in the background when um, Cher's talking with Paul Rudd. It's not, oh, like, yeah. it's not like a dramatic part of the sound. There's never a point where the music's overtaking what's on screen. Mm. Um, like when Salt and Pepper comes on, she's just arriving at school. There's not really any dramatic tension to the music. It doesn't really add anything to the scene. It just kind of is there and adds that, adds a little bit of entertainment value and yeah. stuff to the scene, but there's not really any much more in terms of what it adds. Yeah, I don't know. What are you thinking? Tim? The blur of having non-diegetic and diegetic sound work together and then both be um, equally represented in a soundtrack, I think, mm. is quite unique. A lot of um, sort of soundtracks that you hear these days take the best of rather than what is present and there. They just take what you can clearly hear, which I think is nice because you can at least have those little moments where you're like, oh, I did remember hearing that, but it wasn't force-fed to me. It was just presented in a really, you know, cool and calm way. Yeah. Yeah, no, we talked about that a little bit on the last episode, um, kind of that difference between diegetic and non-diegetic. And, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting, especially here where it, it, is, it contributes to that kind of holistic picture of, hey, this is this is like an iconic 90s soundtrack that – you know, just happens to also accompany a movie, but you still connect those little moments here and there. I don't know, but I I still kind of stand behind that idea that it is deliberately self-aware in the sense that it's kind of trying to reflect what privileged teens in 90s Beverly Hills would be listening to to kind of look Oh, cool. yeah. Sure would yeah. have listened to lots of Radiohead and no I doubt imagine, just be yeah, like, I'm fitting in. I can't imagine, yeah, back and, like, painting her nails and going through her electronic wardrobe with, like, Stop. Radiohead blaring in the background. <laughs> 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 they just, still yeah. haven't, like, honestly, how many years has it been and I'm still going through my wardrobe Ma- manually. manually? It's ridiculous. <laughs> I can pay for my petrol on my phone, but no one's helping me with my outfits. Like, I work in retail all day. I need some help when I get home. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Cool. Well, if that's all we have on that one, um, I think we might go to a track. This is Kids in America by the Muffs, and this is the opening track for yeah. the film. Um, kind of sets the scene real well. Yeah, yeah. Well, literally, because they are kids. <laughs> they're literally and they're kids. in America. Yeah, they're in America. It's really, um, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Good storytelling. Anyway, here it is. You're on OST original soundtrack with Erin Paul in India. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Thank you very much. That was Kids in America by the Muffs from the soundtrack of Clueless. You're listening to OST, original soundtrack with Aaron, Paul and India. As I said, that was from the classic 90s movie Clueless. We're moving from the 90s now into our time period, the 2000s, to talk about Twilight. Twilight, well. And we've got our expert Twilight, expert Twilight person. India in the house this to talk about great. Twilight. Just a bit of a recap before about what Twilight is. Yeah, um, if you don't know... Been living um, under a rock, <laughs> perhaps. It was released in 2008. Um, it stars the then unknown Kirsten Stewart, Robert Patterson... Pattinson, Taylor Lautner, and Anna Kendrick. It features the most 
um, like iconic lineup of Radiohead, Muse, Paramore, Mute Math, Linkin Park, Rob Pattinson himself, and Iron and Wine. Because um, I had no idea. I didn't know that he was on. Yeah, he himself. he's um a musician. He um he was on like a Death Grips album. Oh, I don't like or something. That. He played I, guitar I, on. The, mm, anyway, mm. the plot is uh, Bella is stalked about by an attractive vampire, <laughs> and then becomes a vampire. And I like that you've just left it at that, because. <laughs> I, I was, when you asked me to come on, I thought, how am I going to put this into a plot where it doesn't sound as bad as it is? Morbid. Like, it is, why? <laughs> and, like, it did start as a, a fan, well, Twilight fanfics then became Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Um, so it started a whole run of very interesting uh, things, but the premise of it's just... Beyond me, yeah. But in saying that, the soundtrack is not beyond me. I think it's just perfectly embraces those sort of emo themes, which are so heavily represented in the the movie. If you look at the mise en scene, your dark color corrections, dark costuming, dark vibes all around. It's it's perfectly matched. And look, when you when you look at the lineup, is there anyone better to cry to? Mm. They really Good get question. those sort Good of question. deep and dark feels flowing so I guess it, it it makes perfect sense and it's a so fresh um emotional addition I, I think. think I think what I need to say with the marketing campaign of this movie when it came out I didn't how long was the book made before the movie came out was oh. it like not very long space I, of time I, look going off the top of my head I don't think it was a very long period of time compared to say like a Harry Potter yeah mm. because I'd never heard of the book before I went to see I went to see this movie when it came out I think it was similar uh, maybe time they spent to like Hunger Games or something yeah. Yeah. yeah um and I had never heard of the book I didn't know it was a romantic novel I didn't know it was kind of anything like that the marketing campaign made me think it was a horror movie um, my friend confirmed it was a horror movie. <laughs> it absolutely uh, is. We went to go see it together because in the trailer they have the scene where Edward eats the lamb and drinks Gosh, the, the lamb's totally. blood. Um, and that's in the trailer and they it's um, kind of edited to look like a thriller of like a vampire eating this like poor lamb. So I went to see it and I was like, this is going to be so spooky, guys. We're going to have a great time. I went and saw it with my two friends and um, yeah, by the end I hated them so much. <laughs> Because Boo, it was not a horror sucks. movie. <laughs> I have to admit, I was one of those too cool for school kids when this came out. And um, Tomboy, maybe. Absolutely gay, but like Tomboy. <laughs> and Too Cool for Twilight. All the chicks right. loved it. Not interested. Don't care. Are you Team Edward <laughs> or Team... What's his face? Jacob. Couldn't care less. Um, I knew more but, about that. <laughs> but, yeah, rip me. But, you know, reflecting now in my old wise age, the soundtrack is what ties me back to this i think everything yeah. about it is so iconically of its time period um and like muse came yeah. at the right time as well like their album that came out around there um dark black holes and revelations like that came out the same time and then it was paired in this movie and then muse like blew up and even the, more than they could have been yeah the selection of that is the opening track to the soundtrack i think is a really clever move because their sound really flexes that supernatural yeah. vibe and just setting oh, it yeah. up from the beginning that way lends itself to people not having any other way to interpret it. Mm. So it's literally force-fed the way it needs to be, which I guess looking back in 2018 mindset, probably not the best way to, to put a film out. But yes, it is if you want it to stay within its realm and be respected as a standalone 
film because like there are other supernatural films that have attempted to do the same thing or at least shows like Teen Wolf and you know kind of supernatural yeah, romance yeah exactly well. and romanticize this whole creepy creepy stuff but mm. I think Twilight's done it in a really a way that's made it an artifact rather than you know it's contributed to a genre but it's thought of as more of an, an island as well it's its yeah. own creation I guess if we, we, before when we were talking about Clueless, we were talking more about how the characters would kind of interact with the music. I think with Twilight, it's really interesting to look at the lyrics of some of the songs that were included on the soundtrack, especially Decode by Paramore, which is an extremely iconic song that's linked with this. Um, the lyrics of the song literally reflect Bella and her kind of um, times with Edward, especially, um, you know, like the chorus part, how did we get here? I used to know you so well. Um, what's the lyric? Um, like, uh, if you're a man at all, um, I think from Haley, Haley's perspective, a paramour is, is more of like a metaphorical thing, but it kind of ties in with Edward not being a man. He's a vampire. And that was really smart of picking <laughs> lyrics that actually, <laughs> lyrics actually, actually tie in with the film's themes are really cool. Um, and that's what I like about the soundtrack so much that the lyrics are actually really important to the film and act as a kind of supplementary thing that adds to the film. And I think with this soundtrack too, it was um, chose all the songs on their um, sort of, I'm going to call it the hit soundtrack because there are two to the film, Alexandra Patsavis. Mm. She definitely, you can tell she's thought it through really carefully. She's watched the film. She's thought about the songs because I, I, I've, I believe that he, she also worked quite well with Carter Burwell, who's responsible for the for the traditional side of the soundtrack. I think they've sort of combined together and shared their knowledge and also worked with the writing team to find those songs that lyrically work, um, sonically work, thematically work, and then also tie... Like, the sound isn't too far from the classical side of things and the more traditional side of that soundtrack, which, again, lends itself back to its, its marketing because it really just addresses both your traditional... Um, as a as a film, you want to have the traditional soundtrack. It's just sort of that old, old timey way, but this new two thousands mode of, you know, bringing in those hits and using them together. Because the the freaking piano song is what I've written here. That's actually <laughs> like that appears on the, the more popular side of the soundtrack, and it actually put classical music on the radar. I I found at least within my groups it, it that song kind of pushed people to to listen outside of what like was being put through the radio yeah that claire de lune no definitely not claire <laughs> de lune the one that he plays on the piano to like yeah, serenade her i literally just wrote the freaking piano song how much of an expert <laughs> am i guys i know i know the scene you're talking about but it's, i think it's, it's called Be- i honestly it's... think it's called bella's song yeah oh, probably like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah and it I, it would be played at recess at my school and I'd be like, hang on, last week we were listening to B.O.B. Aeroplanes and now <laughs> oh, no. we're listening to this. Like, it was this very... painful. <laughs> I, I guess I kind of, as being one of those people who didn't always like what was being put to my ears on your traditional, you know, commercial radio networks, it was nice to hear something else represented. And I think this soundtrack's also gone on, you know, in the, in the saga to follow. It's gone on to do this as well. And they've been able to leverage to get some really big names to not only be present on the soundtrack but also do a, a new song that's exclusive to the soundtrack that they haven't released elsewhere so okay go did shooting the moon which is a really gorgeous song that kind of pays respect to your traditional classical soundtrack but distorts it 
like Twilight vibes. It, mm-hmm. it kind of brings it all on board and regurgitates it back out and builds like the films do. It's a really cleverly written song. And then um, Grizzly Bear and Victoria Legrand of, of Beach House fame joined together to do a song as well, Slow Life, which I also think um, really that opportunity wouldn't have been there if they hadn't taken the first soundtrack so seriously. So I guess it's important in terms of giving the film something to make it that much special, that much more special, but it's really progressed it. As like I think honestly that the Twilight Saga is some of my favourite film soundtracks purely for the fact that they don't go for always what's obvious, but they go for what's right. Mm. Because that's not what the filmmakers did. They just went... Which which is exactly... I can listen to the soundtrack for days, but I cannot watch the film. The only... At the moment, all I can watch is the Cub Sport recreation of the vampire discovery (laughs) scene. Can we link that? Can we link that? We will be linking this on our social medias. Do not you worry. If Bolin and um, Tim did a recreation of the whole thing, I would watch the whole saga again. But I think I, it's a one-hit wonder of the film. But the soundtrack (laughs) really, it 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 can be just you can put it on in a room if you're wanting dark vibes. Cup of tea. It's raining. It's perfect. And I think I always listen to the soundtrack and then I watch the film and I'm quite let down because what I'm seeing doesn't match the emotion always behind where the soundtrack went in further along films. I think the mm. first film got that balance and then mm. as it went on, I was kind of glad the music had its own life, mm. it deserved well, its own life. That says a lot to how important soundtracks are. I think if they can have a life of their own and they have a different meaning, um, then that's when you know you've got a good one. Good job. Yeah. Alexandra, five stars for you. <laughs> ten out of ten. <laughs> Let's throw to a track. And um, did we end up deciding? Yeah. Well, lots of people, uh, we've kind yeah. of been bullied into the situation. <laughs> um, so we were putting on social media, like, you know, um, we're going to be doing Twilight. So many people cried because they weren't invited to be on this show. So it's clearly a phenomenon of some kind. I cried when I was invited, guys. <laughs> I was so You're, happy. You have a real privilege um, sitting over there, I think. Everyone, everyone was saying there better be Supermassive Black Hole by Muse on this show. And we had picked Decode by Paramore. Because they um, feature so heavily yeah. on that, that first soundtrack as well. They yeah. take up four or five slots, yeah. which yeah. says something about that pairing. Yeah, so um, we gave in. We're going to be playing some Muse for we you. Okay, we're, uh, <laughs> we're going to be playing Supermassive Black Hole by Muse. You're listening to OST, original soundtrack on Sin Nation. Your skin is pale white. You dress fashionably. And you abstain from sex. I know what you are. Say it. Out loud. Say it. Jonas, brother. That's right. Wait, what? No, I'm a vampire. Duh. That was Supermassive Black Hole by Muse from the Twilight original soundtrack. You are here on OST, original soundtrack, with Aaron, Paul, and tonight we have India with Woo. us. Woo! Woo! Cool. So... We've been smashing through the teen classics, feeling all the nostalgia, but we are on to our next film of the evening, Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging. Of the same year of Twilight, which makes me think we went on <laughs> mm-hmm. such a cultural whirlwind Well, I feel um, like that's an indication journey. of age in the room as well. Perhaps 2008 was a very important year for all of us, for whatever reason. <laughs> I graduated primary school that year, so I honestly think it was quite Wait. a... No, I was, yeah, a couple of years later. Yeah. I, I think I, yeah, I started school early, so I'm with you, but I'm, like, I went through a different mm. load of, of 
emotions, I'd mm. say. Mm. It was more a goodbye than a hello, but I think the whole starting high school theme and the you know yeah. introduction to that yeah. in this film was something I know you guys probably couldn't immediately apply, but later on could apply and, and relate to that feeling. But I absolutely. watched... The, I've seen this before. Um, maybe that's an achievement for a boy to Woo! have, have seen this movie. But um, it was by force. So I think we're on a school camp and it's one of those nights where it was like, Watch we have a movie... Choice. We have a movie. Um, you can watch it, or you can like do the dishes, or wow. like go to your room, or something. So I was like, "Oh, fine, I'll watch it." I really, I really liked it, even though I was like in year nine, wow. and I was a boy. I was like, oh. "Tasty." To quickly recap, Angus Thong's Imperfect Snobbing for those who are not as familiar with it, it stars Georgia Groom, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Alan Davies, Karen Taylor. Um, it features music by the Ting Tings. Woo. Bless. Scouting for <laughs> girls. Spandau Ballet. Are we woo in the rooms? Mm-hmm. No? Okay. Um, yeah, actually, yes, because I saw them live when I was 14. Oh, I envy you. Um, Peter Bourne. Bjorn. Bjorn. Interesting. Um, and John. John's there Don't too. forget him. <laughs> He's crucial. Oh. Lily Allen, Calvin Harris, my main man, and the Maccabees. And the plot, India, would you like to delve into the plot on this one? Uh, so the film is based around Georgia, who is uh, evidently moving away her way through puberty and becoming, a, what she says, a woman with um, a very uh, very obvious visual when she discovers that she's growing chesticles and chesticles. shows her parents, and look, I'm becoming a woman. I love it. So it's very, it's very clear that that's what the film's about. They don't beat around the bush about it. Um, it follows Georgia through her high school experience, trying to make it through trying times with her, what she calls her ace gang, which is her group of three friends that join her on her adventures, uh, falling in love with Robbie, the lead singer of hot band The Stiff Dillons, and dealing with a potential relocation to the other side of the world, which is New Zealand. And I think this film is of um, British descent, and I think that connection between British humour and sort of like southern world humour, which I'm going to include, you know, Australia and New Zealand, the Australasian um, vibe. They really put it on a, a direct flight right down to us. I feel I always, always have felt that connection with the film because they don't force upon us this American ideal. And the soundtrack also supports this. It doesn't um, have, well, it has barely any American influence. It's all sourced from UK acts or UK collaborative acts. They have... UK acts actually covering other UK acts, which I'll get to in a moment. But it, it is one of those films that, that shapes your understanding of finding your identity without being laced with mainstream ideals. It, it gets down to that real fear that people do face when they're going through puberty, not things that are put upon them like status. It's, you know, there's a little bit of status with the popular girls, but it's not money and it's not worth. It's, you know, personality and mm. relationships, which I think is quite wholesome for a film of a, a teen genre because you know, major production companies have their ways and can rule over certain things and there's also certain genders doing certain things that aren't representing what, what people feel. But George's voice is very strong and continued throughout the film. It's not conflicted in any way. There's not any, you know, ideas that go back on where the film's heading. But from disastrous fake tan to following her true passion for Halloween dress-ups, fearing that first kiss and falling in love with your crutch, it, crush, it really does... Falling in love with your crutch. <laughs> Maybe a bit of that too. But with your crush in the film. Known to happen. It does touch on those moments that, you know, I've had a, except for the crutch bit, um, few of those myself. <laughs> um, and it, it did really make or break your year as a teenager. I think 
I know at the end of each sort of high school year, you'd look back and go, what mistakes did I make? Where did I embarrass myself the most? Yeah. And how me. is this going to influence me next year? Yeah. This is me right now. Yeah. I've just finished it's uni and I'm looking back at year seven being like, why didn't I do that? <laughs> yeah, um, that crush part really sounds true. I think this movie was really... Um, yeah, it was nice. It was a wholesome movie at that time when you like that kind of thinking is crucial to people like me. Does the person I like like me back? Like mm. all that kind of rhetoric that and occurs it, in a young brain. It did it in a real way. Yeah. It wasn't over romanticized at all. They they really you know took their time to go through each thing and they talked out real possibilities. And it was nice because Georgia also got to involve her mum in discussions and dad in it. You know, rather than trying to make those decisions internally, it promoted this culture of talking to your parents about things. But heading back to the soundtrack, because that's what I'm most excited about. Um, yeah, it doesn't have a representation of this American culture, which of most teen films that we do um, associate with the genre, they are heavily American mm. in their production, mm. everything pretty much. This film has Lily Allen covering the kooks naive. It, it represents some lesser-known UK bands, giving them an international platform. I know that the Maccabees really sort of blew up within my realm after the film came out and probably should have toured, but we're all under yeah. 18, they, so there was a bit of a catch with that one. They're gone now. I know, which yeah. is so... I, I, when they sad. went, I thought about this film and I thought it's so sad that that's ended because for me, there's still parts of that film that I relate to and the soundtrack I bring out every now and then just to to think about me wanting to move to England and live George's life and fall in love with someone from the Stiff Dillons, <laughs> even though Robbie was the only hot one. <laughs> Drama. Um, but it is upbeat and positive for the most part. It's really lighthearted, which is complete opposite to Twilight, which yeah. is why I think we did go through <laughs> yeah. um, the washing machine that year. We had a lot of things thrown at us, but this was a constant. You could always put it on and feel good. And, you know, opening with the track that we'll play for you soon, I think it's just it's just so upbeat and and happy and I think it it represents that no matter what you're going through you can always find that happiness when you when you're a teenager there's always something mm. that that makes you pop whether it's music which in the film it kind of is and I found that then music was my thing so cheers Georgia mm. I thought Georgia. you was different I thought you was different Georgia <laughs> you got it out in the end you did it I did <laughs> I mean, that's really nice that's a nice note to wrap that up on did you have any I uh, yeah I I honestly can't remember Angus and Ang- I was go- I was about to say um, Angus, Angus and Julia Stone. Um, <laughs> I, can't I can't remember, remember them. them either. Angus so. thongs and perfect snogging. I did see it so long ago, and it, it just ha- hasn't. I haven't had that opportunity to rewatch. I highly and recommend it to anybody. It's I might one do of those that tonight. Teen actually. films that isn't. It doesn't have an element where you go, oh, yeah. Like a lot of them, you know, Clueless, the remotely removed incest, Twilight. <laughs> A vampire, seventeen-year-old, hundred-year-old vampire. It's, it's nice. It's, it's happy, real. and it's like real. things pass and go. And she like, you know, has a sloppy kiss. Wow, cool. Had a few of those. You know, you can laugh. Like it, it just makes you laugh and reflect, even as, an young adult. I youth. like it. A youth. A youth. I like that. I like this theme, vampires and tra- tragic teen tales of incest, and then and then this. It's a nice. Two thousand and eight. Thank it was you. a year. <laughs> Do you want to give a short intro to Boys and Girls in Love by the Rumble yeah, this before is like, we play it? It's so fun. And I love the band name too. I just think like, you know, mildly represents like you just bopping along to it. Like you're going along the Rumble Strip on a road. It's just super happy. And it basically sums up the film that Boys and Girls in Love. And, and that's the premise of it. So here it is. You're on OST on Sin Nation. Hey, Erin. 
Yes, Paul. What does OST stand for? I'm really glad you asked. It stands for Original Soundtrack. Oh, cool. Is there like a podcast for this or something? Or There is. You're listening to it right now. I'm what? Why did you tell Jazz that my brother wasn't good enough for her? I didn't mean that. We were fine. Well, does that mean I'm not good enough for you either? No, of course not. So I thought you were different in that, Georgia. But you're not. You're just a kid. You only think about yourself. That was Girls and Boys in Love by the Rumble Strips. You are on OST, original soundtrack on Sin Nation with Paul, Aaron and India. We just had a little bit of a talk about the uh, the kind of underrated Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging. I think we're going to jump into another like slightly underrated flick now. Um, yeah. 2007's Juno. Yeah, super wholesome. Again, we're keeping it upbeat. Juno 2007 starring Ellen Page and Michael Sarah, the cutest couple ever. Oh, J.K. Simmons, Jason Bateman, Jennifer Garner, Alison, Janie and Rain Wilson. Uh, the soundtrack, incredible soundtrack, features music from Barry Lewis, Polisar, The Kinks, Buddy Holly, Belle and Sebastian, God, it keeps going, Sonic Youth, <laughs> Cat Power, The Velvet Underground, The Moldy Peaches, and also our power couple of the hour, Ellen Page and Michael Sarah. I'm holding on. I'm holding on, okay? Um, the plot, essentially, Juno McGuff finds herself in a bit of a pickle. She ends up pregnant to... I'm not reading that. <laughs> the lanky and weird Paulie Bleeker, but decides to give the baby to a family in need. Yeah, this is re- a really wholesome tale. Um, of teen pregnancy. That, yeah. Which um, is which, rare. Yeah, it's really reflected in the soundtrack as well, uh, especially in a time like 2007. Um, it's a really realistic and fair depiction of teen pregnancies with shows like Teen Mums airing on MTV in 2009, not shortly after. The whole representations of teenage pregnancies around this time were sensationalised and dramatic. Uh, what does the protester say in this movie? Babies want ba- to get born. Babies, oh, babies want to get born. <laughs> I love that so much. And um, also the fact that babies have fingernails Fing- is, is oh. the thing that deters Juno from yeah. seeking out an abortion. Um, so, you know... Abortion isn't represented in this... Well, I mean, to Juno, it is, but it's not represented in this eerie, ooh, against... You know, this is against all human things. It's unethical. Um, It's just kind of... In this movie, it's represented as something you should do if you don't want to do it. It was a really evenly weighted representation, which I I remember at the time, obviously, I was quite young and, you know, moving into puberty, there's always sex ed warnings. It was nice just to have a... A balanced opinion of something, which is so not mainstream media. There's mm. always a side. So I I think the film was really, you know, they took a responsibility to, to provide the youth audience with a youth opinion, mm. which is good on you. And I think it gives parents a uh, template as well, like um, Juno's parents, Mac McGuff, <laughs> um, and also her stepmom played by um, Alison Janney as well. Uh, you know, their reaction is disappointment. And they're like, you know, it's not cool that you got pregnant. That's quite frustrating. You're a teenager. You should have thought about it more. But they're like, we're going to help you anyway, Mm. Um, which is really great. It's a template for parents to just not yell at their child, be like, why did you do that? It's important to be disappointed, but also give the support they need. Because it could have been a horror film for for you. Oh, yeah. It could have been represented to the point where you're like, babies, no, thank you. It was was nice. And I I, I never, I felt in, like, the thought was scary when they presented it to you, but then they they didn't make you feel bad. They they made you just think, this is is how you work through it. Like, a nice little blueprint. 
They could have done a Mean Girls, um, do not have sex, you will die. <laughs> that could have been <laughs> the, the, the option. But no, they, they definitely opted for this, you know, extremely lovable characters and the storyline was, it was super, it was really life-affirming. And I think hmm. the soundtrack itself as well is an incredibly life-affirming yeah. set of, um, of songs. So this was a low-budget indie picture, which I guess goes off what India was saying, that uh, a big Hollywood picture would not, be like this, especially not in 2007. It had to be an indie movie for it to kind of have these themes in it. So that, of course, they take music from all the indie darlings of the 2000s, like Belle and Sebastian and Cat Power. Um, a lot of Judo's development and character actually comes from her interest in music, so that's really cool that her character is actually integrated into the soundtrack. And as we said before, Michael Sarah and Ellen Page actually perform a song that's on the soundtrack, which is in the movie. Um, and especially in conversations between her baby's potential surrogate father, which is Mark. Um, slash lots, weird baby daddy slash, dynamic. Yeah. Ooh, I did not like that. Um, <laughs> lots of classic bands like Sonic Youth and the Melvins pop up as well in those conversations. Mm. I think it's um, used really well to highlight those kind of dramatic moments, not necessarily in climactic or, or tense moments, but just about emotion. And it's where the emotion starts to swell. And it's all human emotion. It's those real moments where... Um, Juno, you know, reaches out to Michael Sarah, um, Bleaker to Paulie. say, Paulie to say, um, yeah, like we've, we've got something that we need to deal with here. And whether it's a nice moment, you know, I think it really just, there's peaks and troughs and it just comes in at the right moments every time there's a track. Yeah. How, I, how old were they in the film, by the way? Like 16? how old were they meant to be? I think um, Juno's was 16. Okay. Yeah. 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 So they weren't even graduating high school. They were just in like sophomore year and whatever it's called. A good age to address... I think 16 is quite a pivotal moment. Mm. I mean, I know in American culture it is with sweet 16s, but I found that, that that's even bled into our culture in Australia because we are so heavily influenced by American yeah. things that 16 is quite a pivotal age. Good mm. on them. Good on them. Yeah, good on them. Um, I don't really have much more to say about that one. We're going to take a slice um, of a song that's from the opening of the movie, which is completely drawn. I'm not really sure how they did that. It looks like it's... We, we all know the animated credit and title sequences are the best films. Obviously. Literally, everything that opens with an animated sequence <laughs> will be a good film. Even animated films. Yeah. Um, so, I'm not really sure how they made it, but it looks like it's drawn. And it's just Juno uh, going to the store to pick up some Sunny D. Or she's going to pick up a, going to pick up a pregnancy test. Yeah, from um, True. And, <laughs> and this song plays in the background. It's All I Want Is You by Barry Lewis Polizar. You're listening to OST on Sin Nation. No, there it is. That little pink plus sign is so unholy. That ain't no Etch-a-Sketch. This is one doodle that can't be undid, Holmes Gillett. That was All I Want Is You by Parry, Barry Lewis Polizar from the soundtrack of Juno. You're on OST, original soundtrack on Sin Nation with Paul Aaron in India. And course since that was from the Juno soundtrack we just had to talk about that now we're going to move on to a very interesting uh soundtrack we're going to squeeze this one in before we wrap up for the evening just as a bit of a novelty to finish up on <laughs> um Project X the 2012 film starring Thomas Mann and <laughs> literally no one famous Oliver Cooper Jonathan Daniel Brown yeah and of course, Miles Teller. Miles Teller, which is, is there the best. As Miles that, Teller. When we watched this, um, like earlier earlier in the year, um, when Miles Teller appeared, I absolutely went crazy yeah, for I Miles Teller. To, I forgot to tell you about that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, actually, so this, I, I guess, before we get into the music, real quick, this movie 
unfortunately was really like one of the high rotation films around like my childhood um and i hate that i really hate that <laughs> i guess to summarize the plot um a nerdy and unpopular thomas who plays his own namesake holds a house party when his parents go away for the weekend and break literally every law possible but he doesn't go to jail or face any legal consequences at all no, none what? no literally that's how the, the movie ends um, he like dumps his dad's Mercedes in the pool. The I movie. That, I think the key is that he sets the entire neighborhood on fire and sees yeah. no repercussions. And like, for don't it. the SWAT arrive? Don't like an army yep. arrive yep. to break up a riot? And then the, it ends on like the newsreels being like, "Young boy completely destroyed the neighborhood," but he doesn't go to jail. Or <laughs> so I guess for context, just quickly as well, <laughs> that um, this film was based around the incident of Corey Worthington's iconic mm. house party. Um, when was that? Two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand around that time. Two thousand eight. Yeah, 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 it was yeah. a rough time for everyone. It, it was, was a rough time. Hard time. <laughs> for a hard time. Yeah, so it does kind of appeal to that larger than life. Just a couple of white boys trying to please their mates, but kind the, of thing. The thing is, though, is that Corey Worthington in himself is a film character, but <laughs> they didn't play off that. They didn't play off the fact that Corey Worthington, in an interview on live TV, he was told to take his glasses off, and he said no. Bono said the same, but Bono's but, actually got real reasons. <laughs> but why? Why did they make the movie about a nerdy kid that, um, like, their mum calls up, yeah. like their parents call up, and he's like, "Oh, I'm not having a party." I think it's more relatable. Like, I get that. I think it would have been really funny to have like a almost like a um, a bro. Yeah, just like a really overly written bro, just like mm. hold this party. Um, well, that's where Miles Teller comes in, really. Yeah, he's kind of like the bro who rocks up yeah. in the party van and kind of makes the night worthwhile for everyone involved. Um, um, but let's get into the soundtrack. Yes. So it's interesting because the film's director, um, I'm going to butcher this last Nima name. Nima Norizade. Norizade, thank you. Um, has directed a lot of music videos, directing mm. videos for like Lily Allen. Um, he did Oh My God, yeah. LDN. Which LDN's a pretty iconic one, and Lilith's things as well. So I think if you consider that, this film is really just one giant music video. Um, a really trashy kind of music video as well at that. <laughs> and there's like, you know when music videos pause for the plot? And you, you, they're like eight minutes long. Like a Lady Gaga music video, it always has like a four minute break in the middle when there's no music and they just have a plot. the telephones on her head. Yeah, yeah. And they <laughs> they just have talking. It's like that, like a music video that runs for two hours, but they yeah. have breaks of talking and it's like, yeah. get back to the music. And I think to factor into that idea of, hey, we've just got some, you know, white middle class boys who are just trying to have a bit of a early frat party envisaged house party, um, the soundtrack is <laughs> in itself, in a separate entity, is pretty cool. It's a cool soundtrack. It's got acts like Pusha T, Barry's Movement, J. Cole, A-Track Nas, The Yeah Yeah Yeahs, D12, if you're into that mm. kind of thing, uh, <laughs> Dr. Dre, and Kid Cudi. Um, yeah, there's also a bit of Eminem solo work there as well, but I mean, I think that indicates the kind of audience as well that we're speaking to, mm. um, and the fact that, <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit of this kind of, we're going to play... Eminem, cool music, and it's you, you see this. It really just screams trashy, entitled teens. And I mean, literally, Eminem, white trash party is mm. playing while they're like on a jumping castle doing shots, like just being really messy. Um, 
we are not advocating for this kind of behavior <laughs> here at OST. Um, obviously, we're quite anti it, but I think it is. It's a really interesting dynamic where the soundtrack in itself is like, you know, I'd enjoy it. I'd enjoy yeah, it it's kind time, of like. Going back to the clueless thing again, like it's the music these kids would be listening to. Yeah. Um, and even though I think they hire a DJ or a DJ appears they in this hire, movie out of DJs. nowhere. There's two um, DJs. This is what a real life DJ in 2012 going to a kids party, well, kids party, like kids a, party. House party. <laughs> <laughs> a house party would be like, what do I play? Okay, I play D12. I play Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. I play all this music. So um, although the music was probably chosen beforehand, it actually sounds like it was picked by a dude who's rocking up to a kid's house party. Authentic. It is kind of one of those films that targets the end of that teen period. Yeah. Because it's when you're sort of discovering that next level, going into adulthood, but you've been misguided there. Yeah. Taking the long road to adulthood. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's, yeah, that's really true. And I think, yeah, comparing it with the images, I think watching it, the reason I watched it so many times was because this actually kind of looks really cool. You know, I was kind of like, oh, I want to be there. But so. then, yeah, I was kind of like really bad reflecting it <laughs> in, in, yeah, my current state. No, thanks. Would rather avoid setting my entire neighborhood on fire. Um, yeah, really interesting kind of as well. The time period it came out uh, when found footage movies were blowing up again yeah, you know, with that, paranormal activity. That's, that's what I found the most interesting about this movie is that um, we didn't, I guess we didn't say that at the start, it's completely um, kind of edited together as a home movie Yeah. Um, that one of Thomas's friends makes. And it, 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 what I like about it the most is that every time you're watching a found footage movie, you're thinking, why are they recording this? <laughs> why are they doing this? Um, paranormal activity, they kind of... They become more self-aware of that, and they're starting to. Um, they have like security cameras as a way to kind of get around that, because obviously people wouldn't be filming themselves at night if it wasn't a security camera. Anyway, um, I feel like this movie kind of sidesteps that because of course someone would be filming this. Yeah. Who wouldn't be filming and I mean, that, this? I think that, in my mind, factors into the soundtrack choices as well. Like it's all a conscious choice made by the protagonists of, of mm. the, the film, which is. Um, you know, for better or worse, we end up with what is the wonderful Project X. Yeah. I'd, uh, we, I don't know if we're doing recommends or not, but I would recommend Project X. Just don't take it seriously. No, it's not real. It's very <laughs> fake. And Miles Teller pops up. So if you're a fan of Miles that's, Teller, That's the most like, real like moment, this. I guess. Um, <laughs> unlike Paranormal Activity, which is obviously real. <laughs> anyway. It? I saw it happen in real... I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, dude. It's Miles Teller. Dude, it is. That's him. My tell, what's cracking, bro? We go to North Pass. Yeah, you big fans. Huge fans. Cool. Awesome. Look, we're making a movie. <laughs> that was Heads Will Roll by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. That was the A-Track remix from the Project X soundtrack. You're listening to OSC. Original soundtrack here on Sin Nation with Aaron Paul. And tonight we've had India in the studio with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I'm not much of an expert, but I'm feeling very backed and blessed. You had such eloquent thoughts. Thank you. It was great. Important, important eloquent thoughts for when we can't use our words and don't know what we're trying to say. Which is often. Which is very often. (laughs) So it's nice to have someone intelligent in the room to help this show get along um thank you to our listeners as well if you've listened live thank you very much if you're listening on podcasts right now it's very kind of you um if you want to follow us on any kind of socials we have a facebook page 
at OSTSYN. Mm. So if you just want to type in OSTSYN into the Facebook, you'll find us into the Facebook. We'll be there somewhere. We'll be there somewhere. Um, Also, we were going to put up a Spotify playlist of today's show. Yes. um, And last week's show where we talked about patrician films. Um, Yeah, if you want to catch up on any of those playlists or if you're on the podcast and you want to listen to the playlist of the music that was missing you can go to our facebook again ostsyn and find our playlists um just thank you for listening yeah it's been a lovely lovely evening what have we got coming up next week next week yeah we're going to look at musicals we are and music in film as well because um i'm a big fan of music (laughs) that's why we're doing a music show um and there's lots of movies about music that I want to talk about. So we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about some artist biopics as well. So it's not just going to be all the usual stage shows and musicals you're you're aware of. It's going to be a bit of a mix, which is like we like to do at OST. We like to do a bit things a bit left of centre and mi- mix things up. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for joining us. If um, you're here listening, please have a good evening. If you are listening live, if you listen to your podcast, go enjoy doing your thing. Um, keep on track with the socials in the meantime catch ya bye want more from OST check us out on Facebook at OST original soundtrack